Well, good morning. It's so good to be back with you here at uh, Springbrook this morning and to uh, join together with you in worshiping our great God. Uh, traveled about 40,000 miles since I was last with you, so uh, um, uh, it's been exciting to see what God is doing in various places around the world as I've been uh, traveling, but I'm very grateful to uh, be back home, and I want to say thank you to those of you who have let me know that you uh, were praying for me as I was traveling. So thank you so very much for that. You know, I am not very good at jigsaw puzzles. Uh, I can manage the ones with like eight pieces. Um, I can uh, even stretch myself up to maybe 24, and occasionally, if it's a good day, maybe around about 50 pieces, but you start getting larger than that, and I'm not great at them. Uh, but sometimes the kids uh, um, uh, ask me to help them uh, um, uh, with a jigsaw puzzle, and, and, and so we'll spend time doing it. And invariably, um, over the years, the jigsaw puzzles that we've got, um, we will work on, and suddenly we'll get to the end, and we're almost there, and we will realize that there's a piece missing. And I've got to tell you, there's nothing worse than spending all of that time working on a jigsaw puzzle only to get to the end and to discover that there's one piece missing. It's like, oh. You know, as we spend some time together in God's Word this morning, we're going to talk about uh, an area that sometimes creates some confusion in the life of the church. And hopefully we're going to clear up at least a little bit of that confusion. But one of the things that I want us to understand from the get-go is that here at Springbrook Church, and this is true of every local body of believers, God has already provided every single gift and resource that is necessary for us to accomplish the work that he has for us today. As a church, there is not one single gift or resource that is lacking from this body to do today what God has called us to do. What a wonderful truth that is. And it's a reminder of God's utter wisdom and grace, his generosity and his, his kindness and His goodness. We are not like a puzzle that is missing a piece. Now, certainly it's true. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean that we have every resource and every gift that is necessary to do uh, uh, what we need to do next week or, or, or next year. But we know that when we get to that point, God will have already provided everything that we need. So, uh, you see, it's so important that we understand that because as we spend some time this morning in the New Testament letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, we're continuing the series that we've been in in, uh, over the last several weeks. And the area of spiritual gifts that we're going to talk about this morning was one of the areas in which this church was really struggling. In fact, as you're probably aware from the series so far, um, the church in Corinth um, had issues. There's a lot of people who today will say things like, oh, I wish that we could get back to the way that things were in the early church. That sounds really good, but you want to be careful which early church you're talking about because Corinth is not a great example. They had all sorts of things going on. 
And, and one of those is what we discover in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So I hope you have a Bible with you. Um, and I want to invite you to join me there, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, as you're turning there, what we're going to see is this area that has not only been troublesome to the church in Corinth, but quite frankly has caused some trouble and some debate and some uncertainty to many believers, even over the past 2,000 years. And and, uh, as we turn there, the Apostle Paul writes these words, beginning in verse 1. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And the the first thing he wants them to understand as he starts out this portion of this letter is don't be uninformed about or idolize particular spiritual gifts. Now, it's, it's fascinating to me that he starts the way that he starts. He's actually here answering a question that apparently the believers in Corinth had, uh, had asked of Paul. In fact, there's several places in the book of 1 Corinthians where he, he, he makes the statement, now concerning this. And it seems to be that uh, this letter is in some respects kind of a Q&A between the believers there and the apostle Paul to clear up some things that they're struggling with in their understanding. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. And so, and so one of the things that, that he wants them to understand is, listen, this is something you're supposed to be able to understand. This is something that you're supposed to get. And I think it's tragic that there are many believers in the church of Jesus Christ today who are still trying to figure out something that the Apostle Paul says, hey, listen, you need to understand this. Now, I'll acknowledge there are many things that we're going to talk about that we maybe don't fully comprehend the reasons behind, that God hasn't maybe given us all of the information that we would like pertaining to some of these gifts. But we're going to discover the importance of these spiritual gifts. And I want to start from this perspective. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have at least one one spiritual gift. And it's important that you understand that God has gifted you for the blessing of his people. Now, as he begins to talk about this issue, he he then seems to go off in a strange direction. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. And, and so he's pointing them back to the fact that before they came to Christ, many of them were, were Gentiles, that is, that they were non-Jewish, and, and they had worshipped all sorts of idols and false gods, and, and oftentimes their focus had been on whatever seemed most impressive. They kind of idolized and worshipped all sorts of things. One of the problems, it seems, that they were facing in the church in Corinth was that they were dividing themselves into groups around celebrities. Earlier in the book, uh, we see that some of them were, were, were saying, well, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and I follow Peter. 
and I follow Jesus. And they were breaking into these kind of divisive groups. But they were also doing this pertaining to spiritual gifts. And so they were kind of idolizing. They would, they would look at somebody and, and, and they were, oh, well, you know, those are the super spiritual people because they have this gift. Or, oh, wow, I wish I had a gift like that. The fact is that sometimes we can fall into that trap ourselves. I've got to be honest, Sunday after Sunday, wherever it is that I, uh, that I am in a, in a local church, I'll look at those who are leading worship. I'll look at the, 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 the musicians who are playing and at the worship leaders as they're singing, and I'll think, wow, I wish I could do that. I love music. I love to sing. The only problem is that nobody else loves it when I sing. And so it, it can be tempting sometimes to look and kind of to become envious, you know, to have gift envy. And, and for, for some of us to feel like, well, I'm not, not as important. Well, I don't really have anything to offer because I can't teach like that, because I can't sing like that, because I can't do that. And he's saying here that you used to be accustomed to kind of being led astray to things that you were... Uh, idolizing, but that shouldn't be the case now. And then he goes on and he talks about this, uh, this uh, idea that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And again, it seems to be that one of the big issues, one of the, the, the big gifts that they were idolizing or kind of blowing out of proportion was the gift of tongues. And there were some people who were saying, well, I don't understand the word he's saying. How do I know if it's not heretical. And he's saying, well, listen, if it's a spiritual gift, if it, if, it is, if it's led by the Spirit, then it is not going to be a false message. But at the same time, he says, anybody who says Jesus is Lord and says it from the heart is being led by the Spirit, whether or not they have a particular gift or not. And so, again, his concern here, as he starts out this section, is he wants them, first of all, to be instructed, to have some understanding about spiritual gifts. But he also wants to make sure that they are not idolizing particular things or looking down on other things that sometimes we can be tempted to do. But he goes on, and as he goes on, what, what we discover is that gifts are from and according to the Spirit. Our gifts are from and according to the Spirit. Look with me, beginning in verse 4. He says, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So what he's explaining here is the fact that in the body of Christ, 
there are many different gifts. That God, who is gracious, and actually this, the, 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 this word um, uh, gifts is, is the Greek word charismata, is where we actually get the word charismatics from. It simply means grace gifts. Grace gifts. God is gracious, and he gifts his people in a diversity of different ways. Here in this passage, we see nine different gifts listed. But these are not, this is not an exhaustive list. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, in Ephesians chapter 4, in uh, uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, we see other gifts listed. We also see uh, some gifts mentioned in the Old Testament. And Jesus actually refers to to the gift of celibacy uh, when he is speaking to his his disciples. There's a number of different ones, but even, even amongst all of what we find in the pages of Scripture, it seems that these are illustrative rather than exhaustive list. There are many different gifts. But the point that he's making is, it is the same God who gives these gifts to his people. In fact, we actually see, uh, uh, the, if you like, the Trinitarian formula here in that, that, that we see that uh, in verse 4, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord in reference to Jesus. There are varieties of activities, but the same God in reference to the Father who empowers them all in everyone. And so just as there is diversity within the unity of the Godhead, so there uh, is diversity of gifts within the unity of the church. And the point that he's making to people who are struggling to rightly understand this whole issue of spiritual gifts, and more importantly, this whole issue of of where they fit. He's saying, whatever your gift may be, God has given it to you, and it is good. And it is according to his will and to his purpose. You know, there's a lot of people who struggle, not just with gift envy, but sometimes with we're feeling like God just hasn't given us very much. That we don't feel like we've got a place. I want you to know that God has in his wisdom not only crafted you and shaped you and and formed you, but he has done it in a way that is unlike any other He has done it well. He has made you precious and beautiful and unique in his sight. And listen to this. You bring to this church something that nobody else brings. There is no other like you, and you are placed here for a purpose. In fact, what we're going to see in just a moment is that this church would be hampered, would be limited, would be disabled in some way without you here. Because God in his wisdom and according to his will has called you to this place, has 
gifted you, and his gifts are good. Now, oftentimes, uh, there's a lot of questions pertaining to the purpose of gifts, and we're going to see some more of that. But in verse 7, we notice, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And it's a reminder here of the fact that, that spiritual gifts exist. They are given for the benefit of the whole body. You know, one of the great, um, uh, um, uh, and I think sad things that many people have been led to believe about spiritual gifts is that God gives spiritual gifts to individual people. That God gives spiritual gifts to individual believers. That is not accurate. Rather, God gives spiritually gifted people to his church. And there's a big difference between that because, you see, when we think that God, when we focus on the idea that God gives spiritual gifts to individual believers, we can fall into this trap of thinking that they belong to us, uh, of, of thinking that they are for our own benefit, of thinking that we have the right to determine when they're used and when they're not used. No, when we consider, when we understand that God has given spiritually gifted people to his church, then we understand that the very purpose of spiritual gifts is for the building up and the ministry to the body of Christ. You know, when I was um, just starting out in, uh, in ministry, I faced a, um, a, a difficult situation. There had been some uh, challenges uh, with some planning and preparation over a particular uh, service that was going to be taking place and uh, just literally uh, about 30 minutes before the service was, was to take place, uh, the, the, the person who was scheduled to lead worship that day uh, was upset because um, some things hadn't gone the way that they wanted them to go. And, um, uh, and so they announced to me, I'm not going to lead. And I'm thinking, what do I do? I don't know what to do. And, and I was very thankful that there was an older godly mentor who was there who knew us both and sat us down and, and talked through this. And, and I'll never forget what he said. He said, if God has gifted you to do something, you have no right to withhold your gift from his people. If God has gifted you to do something. You have no right to withhold that gift from his people. You see, sometimes things don't go the way that we want them to go. Sometimes we may have a a little bit of a disagreement over something uh, or the way that something is done, but that can never be an excuse for the people of God to not use what God has entrusted to them. Now, here in this passage, we, uh, we see that these gifts are from and according to the Spirit. We've actually got this list of nine that I've referenced. Um, uh, it may be helpful to very briefly just have a look at what these nine are. Again, not an exhaustive list. Uh, I'm not going to work through in detail all of these, but the gift, gift of wisdom is really the idea of the ability to apply the principles of God's Word to, to, to the realities and the challenges of life. And so somebody with a gift of wisdom oftentimes is able to, to, to really help with uh, somebody with understanding of, of, of how to live rightly before the Lord. Um, uh, the gift of knowledge is sometimes abused by people, but really it's the ability to discover and analyze and systematize the truth for the benefit of others. 
um, you can speak with understanding, with penetration. What this is not is this idea of sometimes what we see with these TV evangelists will understand, oh, there's somebody watching today who has some issue in their family, and God has a message for... Apart from anything else, those are so generic that it could apply to about 3.1 million people. No, that's not how this word of knowledge works. But there are times where somebody with this gift may just have this overwhelming sense. I need to come. I need to say something to you, and to be honest, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, but I just feel compelled by God to ask you this question. How's, how's your marriage doing? Because it just, maybe nothing, but I just, I, I just feel compelled by God to, um, to say, don't give up. Don't give up. And that person walks away. He's like, how did they know? How did they know what I was thinking about? I don't understand how, how, how many of these gifts work. But God graciously, and this is incredible. Just think about this. The God of the universe has not only uh, rescued and redeemed us in Christ, he calls us into partnership with him in ministry. It's amazing. The gift of faith, uh, uh, this is so wonderful when you meet people who have the gift of faith because um, they are like, let's go get the next hill. Let's storm the next hill because God can do this. And the rest of us are kind of like, well, I believe that God can do this, but I'm struggling. When you, when you hear somebody with the gift of faith pray, it is so refreshing. You're like, man, that's right. Yes. Yes, I do believe that God is able to do this. And so they have the ability to have a vision for what God wants to be done and to believe confidently that it will be accomplished in spite of circumstances and appearances to the contrary. Um, Paul also goes on. and He presents a few more of the gifts here. Um, uh, uh, the next one he talks about is the gift of healing, and I will be the first to admit, I don't understand. I don't understand why it is that sometimes God chooses to intervene and to take that cancer away and to heal it completely. And other times, he chooses to bring glory to himself as that person slowly is overcome by cancer and passes into the presence of Christ where they will receive their ultimate healing. I don't understand. And again, with many of these gifts, there's actually debate amongst godly believers across the spectrum as to, are are these still active today? Uh, Were they for the New Testament only? Uh, How do these things take place? Um, One of the things we need to understand about the gift of healing and some of the other gifts is it is always about Christ It's not the person. It's not a matter. You see, many of the apostles seem to have had the ability. Jesus walked around almost to to be able to heal seemingly indiscriminately. Uh, The book of Acts tells us uh, that um, uh, some people got a hold of uh, the apostle Paul's handkerchiefs. And just simply by touching them, they were healed. God is not... Uh, is not moving in that way in the gift of healing today. That's not that somebody's got this indiscriminate ability, but sometimes in his wisdom, it seems that God uses a human vessel to accomplish his healing work. Likewise, with the, uh, the gift of miracles, again, there's a lot of debate over this. When I was at Moody in seminary, I probably would have told you, and I don't think that this is active today, but I've got to tell you, as I travel around the world, 
and see different things that God is doing in ways that I don't understand. It, it seems that God sometimes, for His glory and in His wisdom in peculiar situations, does something that is utterly unexplainable by any other means. But it's always always about the message, never about the signs and the miracles themselves. It's always about the authentication of the gospel itself. Uh, The gift of prophecy. We often think of prophecy as being uh, kind of predicting the future. That is not what the biblical gift of prophecy is predominantly about. It's really the, the idea of a foretelling, of a powerful announcing of God's uh, truth, of his word, with such power and clarity and in a timely and culturally sensitive fashion that it leads to correction and repentance and edification. A couple more that he mentions here. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the ability to distinguish between spirits. Uh, this is the gift of discernment it's sometimes referred to. Every believer is to be discerning. We're always to take things back to the word of God. But there are some with the gift of discernment who seem to have a, a, a special ability from the Lord to be able to see and to discern truth from error where perhaps others cannot so clearly see it. And they are a great blessing to the church to help to guard and to protect the purity of the church. And then, of course, there's a great uh, deal still today of debate over the gift of tongues and related to that, the interpretation of tongues. Uh, The clearest sense that we get from the New Testament is that the gift of tongues is an unlearned human foreign language. Uh, Certainly, uh, again, there's some debate amongst godly believers over this. Uh, But uh, the, the thing that we can be certain about and clear about is that no one gift is for everyone. And so we have to be careful because there are some groups who will say that the evidence that someone is a genuine believer, the evidence that the Holy Spirit resides in a person's life is is tongues, that they're speaking tongues. That is simply not biblical. It's based on a misunderstanding of the scriptural text. And we'll see that actually confirmed in just a few minutes. But what God wants us to understand, what the Apostle Paul was concerned about for the church in Corinth, is that every believer has a spiritual gift. That these gifts, every one of the gifts is needed and is valuable and is from God. And so we have to be careful that we do not despise the gifts that we have because it is our gracious God himself who has given And then, really, the rest of this chapter 12 uh, shows us that you and I cannot function properly without the body. And the body cannot function properly without you. Look with me, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all of the members of the body, though many, are one body, So it is with Christ. 
For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. And so this is equating here the, 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 the baptism of the spirit. And actually, when people talk about the baptism of the spirit, sometimes, again, there can be some confusion. It is a singular event when a person comes to faith in Christ at that very moment where they are placed into the body of Christ, the universal church as we sometimes refer to it. Uh, And so uh, the baptism of the Spirit is the placing spiritually of a believer into Christ's body, the church. He says, for the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? But as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now, the picture, the metaphor that the Apostle Paul uses there is pretty straightforward. It makes perfect sense to us. It would be ridiculous to refer to to, to have a giant eye and to think of that as being a complete body. We would never do that. Uh, uh, We understand this in other terms. I talked earlier about a jigsaw puzzle. Imagine you had a 5,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. You open the box, and you find that every single piece that is in your box, you've got 5,000 pieces, but they're all the same piece. It doesn't work. You go to Ikea and you get a dresser or something like that for your bedroom. You open the box, you pull out the instructions, which are all in Swedish, so you're in a mess as it is. Uh, and, and, and you find there's all sorts of pieces in there, and then you realize every single piece is the same piece. It's not going to get you anywhere. You see, one of the things that sometimes we can wrestle with is a confusion between unity and uniformity. But the body of Christ is not about uniformity. It's not about everybody looking the same, acting the same, having the same gifts and abilities. It is about a beautiful diversity, and out of that diversity comes this incredible unity. I want you to think about the fact that the church of Jesus Christ is like no other organization, no other group on the face of the planet. The church of Jesus Christ is all about people who have no business connecting with one another, being joined together through Christ. The book of Ephesians talks about the fact that in Christ, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. People who are utterly different from one another are bound together in this beautiful unity surrounding who Christ is and what he has done. And the local church, the body of Christ, is beautiful because of the diversity that exists. Some of us Some of us may look around and we might see the gifts that others have, the abilities that they have, and think, I don't really have anything to offer compared to that person. Oftentimes, we're tempted to look at others and compare ourselves with them. 
some of us feel a little bit like, yeah, well, the church may be a little bit like a jigsaw puzzle that forms this beautiful picture, but I feel like I'm like a part of a completely different puzzle than everybody else, and I, I don't fit the picture at all. But Paul says, no, no, no. Every part has a purpose. Just like in the body, every part has a purpose. And he actually goes on to explain this in verse 21. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor the head to the foot, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow a greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what? Some of you may feel like you're an armpit. Some of you may feel like you're the, like the, the, the pinky toe. You may feel like, I don't really have anything to offer. And, you know, I kind of feel like I just don't fit. Or maybe, maybe some of us have experienced being in a church and feeling like we've been pushed aside by people saying, get out of the way, we don't need you. If that's happened to you, I'm so sorry. So sorry that you had to experience that, but I want you to know that that is not what God thinks of you. You are not superfluous. You are here at Springbrook Church because God in his wisdom and his grace has placed you here both for your own benefit and blessing and for the benefit and blessing of his body. There was a study that came out just about two weeks ago through Lifeway Christian Research. And I've got to tell you, I was so discouraged when I read it. Because one of the findings in this study, as they interviewed um, uh, church-going, Bible-believing Christians, was that 65% of them said, I believe I can walk with Jesus without being connected to other believers. That is unbiblical. We may live in a culture that that focuses on individuality. We may have allowed wrongly, I would suggest, this idea of, well, you know, it's all about me and Jesus. It's true. Every single person must decide how they are going to respond to Jesus. Are they going to receive his invitation to life? Every single person will stand before the, the throne in, in, in judgment. But Scripture is abundantly clear that we cannot grow in health, in maturity, in our walk with Christ apart from other believers. I cannot grow in spiritual health or spiritual maturity without your gift ministering to me. And you cannot grow in spiritual health and spiritual maturity without my gift ministering to you. That's how the body of Christ is designed. That's how God intended it. He's placed us together. And so we must 
be engaged and connected with one another. The purpose we see here, uh, back in verse 6, was that it is for the common good. And here again we see so that there be no division. So the purpose is unity, but it is also a care for one another, verse 25 says. We need one another within the body. This church cannot be all that God is calling it to be without all of us engaging, plugging in. There are some of us who are sitting on the sidelines. Maybe there's some things that you would prefer to be a little bit different. Maybe there's some preferences that you have, and it's kind of, well, yeah, it's a good church, but I... Yeah, I'm not so happy about that particular thing. And sometimes we withdraw or we hold back. Get off the fence. Get off the sidelines. You have been given a gift. And you are to use it here in this body. And you are to use it for the building up of the body And you're to use it to promote the unity of the church. Because, you see, we as a church have a glorious calling. Not only do we get to minister to one another as we we exercise the various gifts that we have. And a great way to do that, by the way, is in the context of the small groups that are getting started up. Some of us maybe think, I don't even know where to begin. Uh, there's so many people here in the church I don't even know yet. How do, I, how do I plug in? How do I do that? Get into a small group. And, and you'll quickly discover some ways in which you can use the things that God has laid on your heart, the things that he has gifted uh, to minister to, to a group of other people. Incidentally, if you're not sure what your gifts are, make sure that you speak to one of the pastors and uh, they'll tell you how to get connected with the next spiritual gift class when, it, uh, when it's coming up. Uh, but they will also help you to understand a really important truth. And that is that if you want to know what your spiritual gift is, be aware of the things that you seem to see that you feel sometimes like nobody else seems to notice. Oftentimes, the areas in which God has gifted us are those things that he gives us a greater awareness of. But we also have an opportunity not only to minister within the context of the church to one another, and that's vitally important, but the watching world, this community around us, desperately, desperately needs to see a people who are unified, a people who care for one another, a people who are utterly different from one another in many respects and yet are united with one another around Jesus Christ and the gospel. And so, we need to have this attitude, this heart of being available to use the gifts that God has given us to minister to the body and to be sensitive in our ministry to one another so that as one member suffers, all suffer together. When one is honored, all rejoice together. There are no bad gifts. There are no lesser gifts. Every gift is needed, and every gift is from God 
for the blessing of his church and the building up of his body. And then Paul closes this out. He says, now you are the body of Christ, and you are individually members of it, verse 27. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and helping and administering in various kinds of tongues. And he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. We're not going to go there this morning, but that still more excellent way refers to what he's going to talk about in chapter 13, uh, which is love. It says, uh, and really the idea is that gifts always need to be exercised in love. But it seems strange that after everything he said here, that he then kind of lists off these gifts and says, first this, then this, then this. This is not so much speaking about, uh, about uh, um, uh, some as being more important than others, but there are certain gifts that have a wider benefit to the church. There are many gifts that are very important that are more one-on-one, individual, from believer to believer. But a church also needs and needs to desire to have exercised those more public gifts that benefit the whole body. But what I want you to notice is that he asked these questions, and as he asked these questions here at the end of chapter 12, he expects that we will arrive at the same answer, and the answer is no. So when he says, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. No one gift is for every believer. But every believer has at least one gift. What's yours? How are you using it? How are you using your gift? How are you protecting and promoting unity within the church? How are you actively caring for others in the body? When was the last time that you took time to call up somebody from the church and share with them a word of encouragement, a passage of Scripture that you would be reflecting on? When was the last time that you switched off that show that you were watching on Netflix and instead you got together with another believer to pour into them or to pray for them? What are you doing to put into practice the gifts that God has entrusted to you? Because, see, here's some wonderful news. God has given every piece of the puzzle. Here at Springbrook Church, every gift, every resource that is needed and necessary to accomplish what God is calling this church to do and to be today is present here. So if there are some needs, if there are some gaps if there are some things that are right now are being left undone, 
it's not because God has withheld what we need. It's not because he has failed to give. It's because some of us, some of us are maybe holding back. With what I do, I often travel to many different churches and many different places around the world. Invariably, in the bulletin, I will see we need somebody to work in the nursery. We need somebody in this ministry. Folks, every need can be met with whoever is already in the body. What's your part? Is there something that you need to do to plug in, to put your gift to work? Because thanks be to God, who is so kind and so gracious, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has gifted you that the body here might be blessed and grow. And that through the body here, that you too might be blessed and grow in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so in awe to stop and to think that you, the great God and King of kings, would not only call us to yourself through Christ Jesus, but would but would also gift us and call us to partner with you in ministry for the blessing of your people. Lord, I thank you for each one here today, and I thank you for the gifts that you have entrusted to each one. Lord, there are still more more questions that we have, things that we don't fully comprehend, but I pray that you would help each one of us to see and to understand how you have gifted us and where we fit. I pray for Springbrook Church uh, that every need indeed will be met as every part does its part. And I pray, Father, that this church would not only be a church that deeply encourages and strengthens and ministers to one another, but also, Lord, that the testimony of uh, of unity even despite our diversity, would be a testimony that resounds throughout this entire community and further afield, that people would see and that they would take note of what is happening here and that they too would be drawn to come to see and to savor Christ when they see this body in increasing measure working together for your glory. Father, I pray for any who would be here this morning who perhaps are feeling disconnected, who feel like they don't know where to begin, or who feel like they have nothing to offer. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would minister to them and that you would remind them, Lord, that you have made them well. Even following this service through the conversations that take place, would you minister to those who need a word of encouragement? And would you help us, Lord, to continue to grow in you through the ministry of the body itself? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.